What's up, y'all? I'm Angie Bolin. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a student journalist. I'll be graduating the fall of 22, and I'm also learning to code currently. My name is Haley Bell. My pronouns are she, her. I am a marketing major, minoring in electronic media. And fun fact, I play the saxophone. Ooh. Jazzy. Yep. So this is Now You See Me, the podcast where we are redefining what it means to be a bear cat in this day and age. And, you know, we realize that we've been delving into the lives and perspectives of our guests, but we haven't shared very much about ourselves. So today we'll be recording Sans Guest for this episode so you can get to know us a little bit better. And as always, we're going to start out with our random question generator. So today we've got a spicy one. Okay. Spicy? Yes. What situation is sure to make you cry? Oh, a dog movie. Really? Like Marley and Me? Hotel for Dogs? Beverly Hills Chihuahua? <laughs> yeah, that's the one that I thought of. Um, what's the one with Santa the Great Danes? Oh, Marmaduke? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Beethoven? <laughs> Bolt with Miley Cyrus? <gasps> Oh, that's tragic. That's so tragic. I don't like... Well, animals don't get me, like, excited or anything. Oh, no emotion? No. Oh, no. Hey, what What are the... In the arms of... Oh, those commercials. I gotta flip the channel Those don't get me. <gasps> no, Haley. No. Like, I... Uh, I volunteered at, like, a rescue. Oh, my gosh. I it's just, just like, a whole... I don't do animals. I guess we never had them growing up. I had a hamster for like a couple, I don't know if it was weeks or months, but he froze to death. Was he in the garage? Yeah. (laughs) Well, he was inside and we got our interior of our house repainted. So my dad's like, oh my gosh, the fumes, he might die. So I put him in the garage and then, you know, Cincinnati weather. And you didn't bring him back in after the fumes. It was just overnight and it got super cold, I guess, and brought him back inside and he didn't wake up. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I had like hermit crabs growing up. I had hermit crabs too from Newport. Oh, they would just like crawl out of their shells and bury themselves in the sand and then we'd just find them dead. Really... Yeah, I think they're only supposed to last for like a couple days or weeks, but I had ones that lasted like a year. Oh, I I had one named Clark, and when I was I was, I got him when I was like seven, and I spelled Clark C L A R C K, which is not how it's supposed to be, but I didn't know any better. He lasted two years or something wild. Yeah. I also had a parakeet, and my. Um, my dog at the time, um, we used to let him like fly around Your and dog. like have freedom. She punctured his lung. It was <laughs> horrible. I just have a very vivid memory of my mom holding the poor little parakeet and he just lost a few more minutes. It was see I don't I don't connect with animals like if I see a dog on the streets, I don't want to pet it. Like, I'm dog watching right now, and, like, she's nice and everything, but I don't feel that connection that other people do when they're like, oh, my gosh, what a good little egg or whatever you guys say. Nugget egg. Yeah, I don't feel that. 
Okay, so like when you're an adult, you do not perceive yourself having any pets at all? No, and like this, like for a second, I was like, oh my gosh, maybe I'll get a dog. But just realizing that I have to go outside with it and like make sure it's not dead, that's just not, I'd rather just take care of myself or like, I feel like having a child is better because at least they can tell you eventually what's wrong with them. And like, I don't like with a dog, you can never, you just never know. <laughs> but with a child, it will at least like maybe learn how to speak one day. And maybe. Then, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like if I had to take care of something, it might be a child, but not yet at all. Oh, yeah. We are not there. We are n- certainly not there. No. Um, this is a bit of a tangent but i i've been watching seinfeld and there was an episode basically his like bits are like interwoven throughout the episode and there was one joke that he was like if there were aliens like watching us they would certainly think that the dogs were in charge because the humans are just following them around and cleaning up after them and feeding them like they are the supreme beings yeah i just i don't get it because who decided to like domesticate a dog or even a goldfish like let me keep this as my own and make it a tank and give it some goldfish food and name it Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. who whose thought was that and why do we still do that yeah it's like really I, i kind of have that debate with myself every day because i won a goldfish at a like carnival fair in in the like ping pong throwing game and I like didn't think I'd win um but I this was like the summer of 2019 and he's still alive and well and uh, every day I'm like that cannot be fun just swimming back and forth in your tank and like goldfish the problem with them is that the bigger the tank like they grow to the sides of their tank so I've like this is my like third tank that I've gotten for him and he is now like two times the size of his original self but like I can't get him a bigger tank which I want to do because he feels like he's too big for it but then he'll just grow bigger and it's like a whole unending conundrum and I'm just stuck with him and I just feel so bad because I'm like I don't know how you've survived like the three or four moves that I've had. I have to like transport him in a bucket in my car. It's been that's like I bought my sister a betta fish a couple years ago for Christmas and like getting it home from PetSmart. That was like I didn't think about that. So I put it in the cup holder, but it was fine. <gasps> but yeah, you it's don't think now, about the transportation no. of said animal. No. Mm-mm. And the dog was like licking my seats and I just also, one thing that weirds me out about dogs is that, like, they poop and stuff and don't wipe and they just get on your couch. And that's kind of gross. Like, what if we did that, you know? Just, yeah. I'm just not an animal person. Yeah, it, it's a little it's a little icky. I definitely get yeah, that. Yeah, and they pee everywhere and don't wipe. And then just, like, you pet it. And it wants to sleep on your bed. So then you have, like, dog poop and pee remnants on your bed. And then you kiss the dog, but the dog was just outside eating deer poop. Gosh knows like, what. Yeah. yeah. It's... I also think about, like, we have shoes. We can take our shoes off and not, like... Yeah, they don't. They're just... 
yeah, that's why I don't want a pet or anything like that because it'll just disrupt my life. That's fair. That's very fair. Like, you really have to, like, your schedule is based on the dog's schedule. Exactly. Like, I had to get out of bed today and take it for a walk. And I don't like walking outside. But it was just... And then I have to make sure I'm home so I can, like, not poop in our house. Yeah. And when it gets cold outside, like, I'm not going to walk outside with a dog. Mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. why it's just me. I will say I like I got a cat over the pandemic um, and I have her like registered as my emotional support animal and I don't know how much emotional support she gives me because she's a little wacky girl but like I will say it like forces me to wake up in the morning and like I feel purpose like having something to care for which is nice but it is just like it's just a burden to me I guess and like I'm allergic to cats and I don't find them that cute. Like, I don't find animals or anything cute like that. Like, people think dogs are so cute. You So you don't Google search puppies when you are having a bad day like I do? No. <laughs> That's not a thing. Um, what, what does make you cry, bringing it back? It's definitely changed within the past few years. Like, I'll just be sitting there watching a show, and, like, it'll get me. But it shouldn't. Like, Grey's Anatomy does it when, like, you know, a character dies. And then I'm like, wow, that was so sad. But then why do I even care? Like, I remember crying or just, like, shedding a tear during Virgin River. Shedding a single tear. Yeah, and then, like, stopping myself because the show is so stupid. There's just random shows. And then I'll, like, think about it, like, wow, that's sad. But it's really not sad. And it's fiction, isn't it? so like <laughs> isn't it i it's no gray's anatomy is wholly based in reality i mean Duh. kind of i mean they need to fix that show meredith gray is like 65 years old but they're trying to make her seem 30 still and yeah it's just a whole that is thing. the problem with like and they need it having to so many seasons but i still watch it every thursday so they got me they really do got you and okay follow-up question are you ever crying while you're not but like i don't cry at funerals but the emotions are there like man i could cry right now but you don't you're just yeah you just feel it inside yeah crying internally even if it's like not like i was at my sister's friend's grandpa's funeral probably have met him once like 10 years ago and, like, as soon as the music started playing, I'm like, wow, this is sad. Or, like, just seeing, like, other people sad about death, like, that gets me sad. That's it, for real, like. If I see someone else sad, it yes. depends on what they're sad about. But if they're, like, genuinely sad about something that's tragic, that'll make empaths. me feel sad. I secretly am. I see that. Yeah. I see that. Because I feel like you are such an observer yeah. that like you are just like picking up on yeah so that's why like feeling. funerals like with big churches and like a bunch of people just sad and then there's just me like wow that person probably had such a great memory fishing with that person or just like i don't know it's sad but i think those are the only things that get me 
Okay, switching gears. <laughs> yeah, this is, we're totally derailing, but we're by ourselves today, so we're just having a ball with it. But I also think about, like, priests, ministers, what have you, like, giving, like, sermons and homilies, like, they and act some like it's them, a comedy show. Literally, literally. <laughs> like, they're just trying to get laughs, and that's probably my favorite part. Like, when I had to go to mass, like, when a priest, like, you know they work so hard on that joke, and it just doesn't land. That's when, that's so funny. But also, I feel like it's just, like, hearing the silent church, you gotta give them a little bit of validation <laughs> if no one else gets it, and just throw out a, a little... Oh, ha, ha, ha. No. Oh, I do, I do. I Like, even in class, I was always the person that would, like, laugh at the corny professor's jokes and no one else would be laughing. I'm like, come on, guys. That was no. a little bit funny. See, like, with my sense of humor, very few things make me laugh. And it's just the things that do make me laugh, like, they shouldn't make me laugh. Like, people falling on ice or something like that. Like, that's so funny to me. But other people be like, oh, my gosh, are you okay? And I think it's, like, just relates back to the dogs. Like, I only care about certain things. And um, I'd love to have, like, a psychologist just analyze me. Oh, just, like, follow you around and... Not follow me. I don't move much, but... Or the Long Island medium. If she's not fake. Yeah, I don't I don't know, man. I like want to believe so hard and like some of the things really check out. Yeah. But I also like there was this one BuzzFeed video that I watched that like gave descript like personality descriptors that were like just vague enough, but they give the same ones to like 20 different people and everyone was like, "Oh my gosh, this is really me. I really relate to this. Like this yeah. is how I go about my life." And it was just the same. So I'm like I feel like if people people could hear what she's saying and like want to believe so bad that they try and make it fit their story, but or even like what introductory information have they given her that she's just extrapolated on? See, I feel like I could I could do her job easily cuz like if you give me someone's name and you give me like 10 minutes, I can find their Facebook, Instagram, like I can do a deep dive and probably come up with some things to like pry their brain a little bit and then once you get a reaction from one thing you can go off that right you're like but I don't like have the hair that she does or like the nails so I don't think I'd carry a show like she could it's a, it's about the Luke I think it is and she's just so I almost went to a convention but no one wanted to go with me oh next one I'll totally go really if she has a next one um, I think people are like thinking she's exploiting their sadness what she is go like entrepreneur but (laughs) yeah that's where it gets dicey speaking of dicey let's tell them how we met oh my (laughs) gosh okay this is this is pretty legendary um so we went to high school together um do we want to put the name of our high school on air or should we keep it confidential i don't know I mean, why not? So oh. <laughs> we went to we went to McNick. It's in Anderson. Um, it's a Catholic high school. Um, I was raised Catholic, and yeah, I was raised Catholic for like Christmas, Easter, you know. 
I went to Catholic grade school too, but we what weren't is that strict. called a holiday Catholic? Yeah. Or like the one just random Sundays when we were forced to go to mass because we haven't been in two months. Yeah, my experience was very different from that. Like all the way up until I was, I'd say, 16, like we had to go every Sunday. And if we were like, I remember my brother and I would kind of like try and stall or like we would just say we were tired or take too long in the shower to try and like purposely make us late. But then my dad would still make us go even if we were late and he'd be all frustrated because like my dad grew up in like an extremely Catholic family and he had 11 siblings and my grandma, she was almost a nun. But this is is a crazy story. She was going to go to the sisterhood the nun school ah yeah what is that the convent because i think monasteries for priests right yeah but i don't i think the convent's just what we call it the nun place yeah um she was gonna like study to be a nun but then she went to rome she met the pope i can't remember which pope it was at the time but he literally was like um, no, God is calling you to have a family and to spread your, like, good works and, like, the word of God that way. And she literally had 11 children. Isn't that See, wild? Well, shouldn't a pope try and convince people because they're dwindling, you know? I don't know, but that wasn't her calling, apparently. I guess. I used to, like, when they would come to, like, grade school and talk about vocations, I'd be like, please, God, call me to a single life with no kids, and I don't want to be a nun. (laughs) I just did not want to be a nun. I was like, just please don't call me to that. (laughs) I was like... (laughs) Because you really thought that it was just going to, like, Yeah, I thought that you just had to follow. Like, your vocation was determined, and you just had to follow it. Mm-hmm. because that's like they do such a good job like in cincinnati with their catholic grade schools there are so many around here and they teach you young and they get you young and so they can form your brain from such a young age so they really they got us and like the way that so like vocations for those who <laughs> yeah. are not privy we're just talking like um is basically the idea is that God will call you to a certain path. And so you like the basic sections of that are that you can have like a single life, a married life, or you can go into the brotherhood, the sisterhood, priest. Is that all of them? I think that's all of them. But like the way that it was structured, it really made it seem like the like priest brother sister paths were like just as likely almost like it was a one in five chance they made it seem like god already knew but you had to somehow find out but they didn't tell you how to find out you just had to find out in your life and like we'd watch all these videos and stuff of people like priests saying how they were called like they're struck by a rock and god showed them like oh my gosh you need to be a priest so i grew up thinking like that has to happen to me or like I need to get some calling like do you remember the stigmatas and you like where no no no. it's like I don't remember the full thing but something about 
some saint or maybe it was Jesus or something had like <laughs> Jesus or something or so like when Jesus was on the cross he was nailed with his like in his hands right so some saints like got wounds on their hands just out of nowhere apparently so they like told us that story so well I thought I was gonna get them because I was like so terrified of getting it they just like Aww. really scared us but I think that the Catholic education from a young age is kind of counterintuitive because lots of kids that went through it end up leaving the church and the people that are super into it are like the ccd kids or like sunday school kids what's ccd i really don't know what it stands for but it's the kids that didn't go to catholic school they went to public school but they'd like come to your school on like thursday nights for religion class and they'd always steal your pencils out of your desk and did you go to catholic grade school you went to okay yeah 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 i did but like and I remember that for, like, confirmation. There were, like, yeah, some the kids CCD who, like, kids. came in. Okay, okay. Yeah, so basically it's just school for public school kids to get Catholic education just supplementary to their public school education. But, yeah, we met in Catholic high school. Wow, that was a long-winded <laughs> way to get there. Um, like, seven years ago. <sighs> no. Yeah, because I was a freshman. Ugh. So we also were all-star athletes at our high school were we going to talk about this oh little... yeah this is like where we became super tight-knit because we were like on a team and we of, were like, so good seven people we were pioneers we were the in the women's bowling league yes at our school it we did not it exist back. um we're actually carrying on the tradition because it's still going on to this day we should go back i'm going to they have their first practice on monday or tuesday i think do you know anyone still on the team? Yeah, my sister. <gasps> I carried on the tradition. Oh my gosh, it's a family legacy. It is. Wow. Yeah. Love that. Bowling was like really good for me. And I feel like now I can kind of flex on my friends a little yeah. bit when I bust out my own personal yeah. bowling ball and shoes. shoes. <laughs> and they're all like, wow. And then I explain to them that how it's like fitted to my fingers and it's kind yeah. of a mind blow moment. And you don't have to pay for shoes when you Dude. go. And it's like, it's perfect. And you don't have to put your, okay, bowling balls are also super disgusting, especially after COVID. Like, I don't know how before I had a bowling ball I used to share because they don't clean it. At least at where we went, they do not clean it. Very yeah. greasy. We were legends. I went to districts, I think. Yeah, districts. So that was super cool because no one knew about it. And that's what made it the best because- the other teams knew about us, but our school didn't even know or care. But we also got to leave early sometimes. Yeah. And I just remember, okay, so Wendy's. like, oh yeah, oh yeah, we always had to make a little pit stop beforehand. But I also, like, my last name is Bolin, and we went a Bolin. It was it was a little fun play on words there. <laughs> yeah also the coach was super nice and i feel like we should get him on the podcast oh my gosh i don't i don't know about that i mean no, he would a do radio it host. he's he got the, the voice. voice for it yeah yeah so we're we're gonna switch it up a little bit and um stop giving an ad for the kip bowling the the, the cincinnati CCD. catholic school the GCL. Oh, the, the GCL. Cincinnati. I think they're, they might cease to exist now. I know they're trying to get rid of it. 
disbanding the GCL. We made our mark because I like went back to my sister's game last year, I think, and some of the coaches from like the Dayton team still remembered like us. Us like starting the team and yeah, coming back and like putting a wrinkle in their league because like we'd win one randomly, and it was yeah. always a good one, yeah, and we really... shouldn't have won because we were like terrible. Some of us were okay, but then there were others that did not care and they were just there to play a varsity sport. But did we get out of gym class? I don't even know. No, they started that my senior year. Really? After I had all my gym credits. And that was so annoying. That's tragic. Yeah. I think I had to take gym as a senior because I avoided it for so long. Yeah. That would have been nice. Because we had to take two gym credits. So I took the one freshman year, which was enough for me. So then I took online gym from BYU. I actually like learned a lot about your story from our first episode and a lot of things that I didn't know about you. And especially, um, I'm just like interested in your family's ties to Jamaica. And I know um, you mentioned to me recently that you are a first gen college student. Um, And I know your sister is a couple of years younger than you three and a half i guess she's a senior okay gotcha yeah so like i just wanted to hear about your perspective kind of like going through the college process without your like parents having any experience with that and i like i know for me like applying and trying to figure out what program i wanted and you know, where the best opportunities were for me, like that was difficult in and of itself, but kind of like trying to do that on your own and figure out your path. Um, what was what was that like for you? Okay. So do you like actually want to get into it? Oh yeah, I want to get okay. into it. So it all started in the 1980s. My dad is from Montego Bay, Jamaica, and he like couldn't afford college so he went to work on a cruise ship um because you can make some money you're paid like I think you're paid every week or you were back then and you're like overseas so you don't get taxed you know so that's a good way to make a quick buck and so was it technically like under the table no it's I think it's still that way that it's not since like you're not technically in a country who's gonna tax you Okay. Or he wasn't a U.S. citizen back then, so I don't even know. That was in the 80s, and I really don't know how it worked back then. But then after he finished cruising for a couple years, he, he settled in Miami or somewhere in Florida and was there for a couple years. I don't know where he met my mom, but he somehow came up to Ohio in the late 80s or 90s. And then I was born in 2001, so then I came along. And then my sister came along in 2004. Was he the only member of his family who began to live in the U.S.? Yeah, so he has step-siblings. I've never met them, but they're all older than him. He probably has like five to eight of them. I don't know they're around the world okay um but so he really only had his mother i think his dad died like a while like when he was a child probably so it's just his mother and she was like a big teacher down there 
so and he was an only child from them so it was just him and like in jamaica the people you grow up with are your cousins even if they're not blood Mm -hmm. so he was raised in a house with like some people and we like call them our cousins to this day and like those are those are our cousins because he doesn't have any siblings or anything so he has one blood cousin but she's like a second or third cousin and she's in new york but i'm pretty sure she's like the only one in the u.s so we don't really have family yeah i can't imagine that yeah it's it's weird like holidays are kind of weird yeah like how did you all like establish traditions for yourselves and like what what from like jamaican culture do you pull from in so we don't really have that because they don't have thanksgiving down there right so like thanksgiving is always kind of not sad but just annoying to me or just not annoying it's just like seeing other people with families it's like man i wish i had a cousin it's not like a big to do there's like i think last year we just had like some chicken that was in the fridge and like other everyone else on their stories like oh my gosh all my family's here and you always see like just such a big spread of food and you're like yeah me and my rotisserie chicken from kroger (laughs) and it's just like it's kind of sad yeah, we didn't really have tradition because, like, so my mom was from here and... And where is she originally from? Honestly, I don't know. Probably, like, Kansas or somewhere. I think their family moved around. But, like, she passed away when I was in second grade. So, like, she has one brother, but he doesn't have any kids either. So we really have no family here. But her, like, her best friends were, like, our aunts growing up. Mm -hmm. so those are who I call my cousins but like I literally don't have cousins but when I say my cousins like that's who I consider my family so my traditions I guess stem from like all of her friends like that kind of took us in but then also like we go back and visit Jamaica like my dad's accent comes back Mm -hmm. and he always I guess we kept it through the food because most people here have like mashed potatoes, chicken, crock pot, you know, but we have jerk chicken and rice and just Jamaican food a lot. And that was weird because like, okay, so backtracking, like after my mom passed away, we had like my dad had to work a lot so we can go to school and stuff. So we had he got these Jamaican nannies that he like flew in. So, like, I was raised Jamaican until probably, like, sixth grade. And, like, the nannies, some of them are, like, discipline in Jamaica is different. And, like, it doesn't, it would not fly here, but it flew in our household. So, all my meals were Jamaican meals. And, like, I remember going to, like, one of my friend's house and, like, asking, like, I was, like, crying to, like, her mom, like, could I please have a grilled cheese? Because, like, I just wanted what other kids were having, but I never had that. So I guess the tradition is just kept through food, but food and music, I would say. But there's there's not many Jamaicans around Cincinnati, but most of them know each other. It's weird. Yeah, you kind of touched on a point that I was also curious about. Like, I, I was just curious about whether... 
you felt kind of like a culture disconnect from like your home and then like going to school and like friends houses like the same kind of like when I think of like family values it's very Americanized and so what did you grow up with and what did you see conversely in like your friends family dynamics yeah so my sister and I talk about this a lot and we'll make fun of it but it's kind of sad that we make fun of it but like for example today her friend's family like went on a bike ride together and she's like isn't it so funny how they're a family (laughs) like yeah that is hilarious because like we didn't have that like my dad was always at work so it was just us and a babysitter and like when my dad was home it would just be for dinner and then we go to bed and he like couldn't come to a lot of the school activities and stuff so I was just there alone so I get it was kind of sad but like my friend's parents were always nice to me but there are a lot of kids that were fake and I think that's why I'm so introverted now because so many kids were just mean to me because I look different and I think that's why there's like a struggle there because like my like I'm not white passing but my sister is so people would treat her differently like even in high school uh, one of the teachers that we both had He was very careful about his words when I was in the classroom, but she had him in class and he was saying some really like crazy things about like immigrants and people of color and lots of teachers don't know that she is like half black, you know, so it was it was definitely difficult, especially being like kind of a parent to her and also to myself because there is a culture difference when you're a child of an immigrant and like they don't get it and you can't blame them for it. They just will never get it. And that's something we even struggle with to this day and like college stuff and all that. Like you have no help besides like them wanting you to go to college because they never could. So it was like, doing everything for yourself and then seeing other kids having everything handed to them that like really just made me sad as a kid yeah like as a white woman I like can't speak to that but I can see I don't know how like diversity is pushed so hard but then schools and institutions don't follow up with the kind of support that students of color would need in those situations because especially like our high school was primarily white and even like the staff and teachers that we had there were no like people of color I could count on one hand literally and one of them was my neighbor like yeah (laughs) and so like what would you want to see in like future generations like what would have What would have made you feel less isolated in those kind of situations? Honestly, lots of the struggle came with from kids just bullying me because I look different. Like I couldn't I used to wear my hair in braids because that's what a Jamaican kid wears. Like that's just how my hair was done. 
and I would get bullied for that and just like bullied because my skin color because my hair is a different texture I couldn't straighten my hair um and like a lot of that stuck with me even throughout high school and then I just stopped caring once I graduated because I just don't care about anything anymore but I think that there really just needs to be a support system within the school and I think that at least within Lindner like I found a good faculty support system but that did not like there were some teachers that cared but they didn't care enough to know about you and your story so you really had to just find friends that cared about you but that's also hard at a catholic school in like the suburbs of Cincinnati so I think like I was really just missing the support from teachers because they were they like knew about my past but they just like use it in the wrong way and just make me feel even more alone and like I think that's why like my best friend we're so close because he also grew up a child of like a single dad and like lots of the narratives are like single moms but no one talks about single dads and I think that's just a whole another struggle especially as a girl like everything is like mother and daughter and so you're automatically excluded from everything so I think that's why like we're such best friends because we just like we can connect on that and we like didn't need the faculty to like just be there for you because we had each other but it's it's hard to find someone like that because it's so rare so I think that there just needs to be more things in place for students and a support system that's not there just because it has to be but with people that care and people that understand your story because like I didn't have my first uh, faculty member or slash teacher of color until my freshman year of college. And since I had him, I haven't had another one. So that was just like, it shouldn't have taken 12 years to get someone that looks like me to teach me about anything. Exactly, yeah. And mm-hmm. it, it, should, it, it should not be that way. Like you can't promote your school as being diverse and inclusive if the people running it are not. And that goes for companies, too. Like, they're promoting diversity, but if you look at their C-suite all the way down, the people running the company are not diverse or anything. So I think it's a widespread issue. Right. Like, it doesn't matter who you're recruiting. If the people in positions of power in that company are still, like, projecting the white male perspective and not actually giving the people of color that they're hiring like the power to start shifting that yeah and that's like that's something I learned since going to college because like I never like my dad worked at the family business until I was in high school and then now he works at Amazon because like they have better insurance and we needed that but like I didn't have someone in like a corporate position or like a really good job so I didn't know that until I got to college and then had all these trainings like black hair in the workplace, like all these random things that I never thought of because it was just, it never was there for me. And I just, one thing that stuck out to me was that, yeah, they're getting black people in the door, but are these black people moving up? 
because I think that's important in any job you're in. Like, you don't want to just do the same thing forever. You want to, like, get better at it and grow. But if they're not allowing you to, then you shouldn't be looking to work there. So it's a really widespread issue, but hopefully they're going to fix it, but probably not in my lifetime, which is sad. But we can fix it for other generations. I think, like, a big thing that I've seen is just, like, younger parents, like, raising their children to be anti-racist and to be educated about these kinds of issues so that we can... It's... It's kind of weird, though, because people were, I'm going to sound like a boomer, but we're raising kids to be kind of soft and like, you have to be able to know how to get your feelings hurt because your feelings are going to get hurt. And when they do, you can't just shut down and like, it's not the end of the world. It, It just happens. So we can't raise kids to just have everything perfect and handed to them. And I think we're kind of getting to a place where everything has to be perfect and like you can't offend anyone or you can't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's gonna, if it keeps going to extremes, then it's uh, people, I don't know. You, it's like covering up the problem. Yeah. If, yeah. I guess you can teach your kid not to like, uh, be homophobic or whatever. But you have to teach them, like, why people are homophobic and educate them on that so they understand why it's important to be this way. And Because if you're just, like, putting Band-Aids on things, the problems are just going to keep going on. And I think right now, as a society, especially within the past two years, we've just been trying to put a bunch of Band-Aids on things. And it's it's not going to work forever. Yeah, like, this makes me think about the quote-unquote controversy around teaching critical race theory in schools and I'm just like one you need to look at who is oppositional to critical race theory critical race theory and why that they are supporting the suppression of those kinds of narratives and it's because they serve they serve the white narrative and like the national pride that's based in you know we founded our country on freedom and we don't have to consider the fact that that wasn't true and still isn't true in a lot of ways because the original systems that were in place are still extrapolated into modern systems and it gets me heated yeah the whole freedom thing i feel weird about it because People say how much they hate America, but they really don't realize how good we have it in America. Like, people are dying to get here. Yeah, there's something wrong with it, but our lives are so good compared to some other countries. And, like, women can't even go outside alone. And we, like, we have it so good. Like, there's things, there's things wrong with every country and, you know, got to work on them. But you can't just... You can't say you hate it if you've never been anywhere else and you don't, you just have to realize how good we have it here. There's also just with how we're taught and like freedom is just blasted in our faces at such a young age. I don't know, people just take freedom, like what does it mean to be free, you know? Because there's rules no matter where you go and the rules are in place for a reason 
but who's making the rules and are they fair for everyone? Probably not. And then how are we, how we're teaching children about things? We're just hiding what actually happened in some cases and it's just not going to end up well. So I think it really starts in homes because you learn most of your stuff from your parents or where you grow up. And then the teachers, like in schools, they can, like there's always teachers that just go off, don't, like they don't follow the textbook and they put their own personal twist onto things. So they can just not be racist because there are some teachers that are racist. But I think it really starts at home and teaching your kids to not be bad people because the bad stuff is all learned habits. So we need to fix that. And I think like we can like accept the privileges that we do have but also like teach children to like look at things critically so that they're able to discern for themselves is this based in factual evidence or is this more or is this like getting tainted by someone's opinion or bias and being able to like have those questions that not everything is going to be black and white um but that we can kind of learn to make our own conclusions well i think also there's not enough chapters in the history books about the civil rights era right and it was very recent like my dad was born before martin luther king did his speech and all that stuff like like when my dad was working there were still colored water fountains like it's it's pretty recent and people don't realize that and so for the books to only really cover like rosa parks martin luther king and then they're free like Mm -hmm. There's especially I didn't learn a lot of that stuff until I started doing my own research and hanging out with like my aunt or like being friends with her on Facebook and stuff and seeing the stuff she shares compared to like some of the white people I'm friends with and like, oh, wow, there's a big difference. And I think the 20, what is it, 2020 election, like really... It really showed some people's true colors. Like some people that I thought were like, okay, had some like racist things to say. Like one of my aunts, like actual aunts, like she she called me racist and said a bunch of really mean things to me. And like, where was that the past 20 years of my life? And now you're just saying that stuff. Mm-hmm. And what are you project? Why are you projecting your yeah. own things onto me? Yeah, it was, that was a crazy time. But, yeah, I just, I love Facebook fights. It just, like, really, people aren't afraid to say what they think and... No, and the best thing is that you can just click on their profile and see exactly who they are and just putting a face to the name. It's just so funny and you've probably seen this person shopping at Kroger before and they wouldn't say that stuff to your face, but they can say it on the screen. Right. Because it they're just so powerful behind their keyboard it's it's crazy my last question for you is what you think about using social media as a vehicle for socio-political change and um i guess like i'm curious who you follow 
and um you know what inspires you online to start like having these conversations and shifting the narrative yeah i think social media can be very good but it can also be very very bad because it's very easy to post something with a very clickbaity title and someone reads it and they just that's what they think is the truth and they don't actually watch the video or read the article and I know it firsthand because like with my clients I clickbait videos and people don't watch it but they comment based on the title which has nothing to do with the actual video so I think you have to know how to navigate social media and I think the older generation has trouble doing that so that's why especially on Facebook, it's really bad because people were canceling Facebook at one point because there was so much misinformation and just like dangerous things going around Facebook during the elections that Facebook was taking things down and Twitter was too, but people were like, oh my gosh, they're censoring us. But these are, these companies are able to do that. Like it's completely legal for them to and it's probably listed in those terms of service that you accept when you download the app, but you didn't read it. So you can't get mad at those companies for censoring you, but there's just lots of misinformation out there, so you have to be really careful with it. And there's some good stuff, but you gotta, you gotta find it. And I think, especially with like all the Black Lives Matter stuff that was going on a year or whenever it was, like in the heat of things, Social media was very good because you could see like people that were at these protests firsthand videos, and then you could compare those to what was airing on the news and the narratives that were pushed on every platform was different. But seeing like watching a live stream of it, that's like you can then make your own choices and thoughts after watching it yourself. There's no journalist like reporting on it. You're just doing it in your brain. So I think just knowing what content you're consuming is very powerful. I don't know. It's it's hard to find people to follow because I don't know if you have TikTok, but that, that one guy that was covering the election, I think his name is Marcus or something. Apparently, he's like employed by this Chinese company and people are now saying that he's a plant and he's like the perfect plant because he's like just this trustable trustworthy like white guy and like the perfect person to like spew a narrative to all these Americans on TikTok so now people are like people have been clowning him but people are doing it more so it just shows like because I used to if he had something that was on my for you page back during the election like I listened to it to get my update on the electoral college or whatever but now looking back like oh what was he trying to get across but you don't even know if that's true so it's it's really you just got to figure it out and you can't be too trustworthy of people these days because you can put anything on social media right I think you're right that like it is so monumental that we're able to just whip out our cell phones and record and you know check injustices that way but you also got to be careful because you I mean, just double-checking your sources that you're getting your information from because 
you know, it's too easy to also distort those images and videos. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, anything can be photoshopped and it doesn't take an expert to do it. I've removed things off people's shirts and completely switched bodies and people don't even notice. And if someone was spending hours on it, they could easily distort an image and people could share it and think it's the truth. And it also, like, with influencers too, people hold them to such a high standard but they're literally just people like us that got followers for some random reason so that's another thing that people are calling out influencers for not taking a stand on this or whatever but do people have that same energy towards their neighbor like their neighbor didn't go to a black lives matter protest are you gonna go scream at your neighbor but I don't know, but also influencers have platforms and you have to be careful what you share on your platform because that's going to a lot of people and everyone has a platform even if you have like a hundred followers. That's still a hundred people like that could fill up a classroom and sometimes you just got to put it into perspective. Even 20 people is a lot of people. So you just have to be careful with what you say. And what you read and don't believe everything you read. And even just understanding that the content that influencers are showing their following, it's like 1% of their actual It's such a fraction. Right. And like that's something I've really gotten to understand. Like when I edit my clients' videos, I really, like I post a 10-minute video, but I could go through six hours of footage and just get that 10 minutes and that's just the only 10 minutes people see like I can like if he says something that could literally get him canceled like I cut that out and no one knows except like me so people especially your favorite influencers they're very careful about how they present themselves and they have legal and, teams oh, yeah. to make sure that and it's very dangerous because that means that how like people are worshiping not worshiping you know they they just hold them to such a high place in their lives like influencers and celebrities musicians like they'll do anything for them but these people have their faults and they're not gonna go out and say a bunch of like crazy things knowing it'll tarnish their image so everyone puts their best foot forward even if it is fake so you have to be really careful with what you subscribe to not everything you read on the internet is true kids Except these thoughts that are coming from our hearts on Now You See Me. Of course, yeah. We're, we're always going to be real. Yeah, we keep it really real. Because we just want everyone to see, be seen. To see and be seen. Yeah. Wow, is that our tagline? I guess it is. That was a beautiful all-over-the-place conversation. We went from talking about... Yeah, we went from talking about our childhood to critical race theory to influencers Influencers. are we influencers now that we have a podcast that's the question everyone's an influencer facts anything you post influences someone even if you have one follower thanks for being so real with us Haley. i really appreciated hearing your background and i really value hearing your perspective and um i'm glad that you've brought some of these conversations 
to the table today. Now You See Me is a BearCast production hosted by me, Haley Bell. And me, Angie Bolin. And Haley also produces each and every podcast episode with her sick editing skills and has also composed our theme music. Thank you for tuning in and sharing this time with us. Be sure to follow our Instagram at Now You See Me Pod. Again, that's Now You See Me Pod. We'll be posting on there with updates and guest previews. You can find this week's episode anywhere you listen to podcasts. See you next time. See you next time.